I'm Kate Daniels. If there's one thing the pandemic did, it definitely put the spotlight on mental health issues and the needs in our life. This morning, we find out a way that we can do some of the foundational work on ourselves from this amazing couple, Dr. Yanir Balan and Diego Balan, authors of Rewrite, a trauma workbook of creative writing and recovery in our new normal. Dr. Yanir Balan and Diego <laughs> Balan. <laughs> Good morning. I'm so grateful that we have this time for, I feel, a really important conversation this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Good morning. It's an honor. Good morning. And thank you then with your expertise, Dr. Balan, in psychiatry and Yugu as a psychotherapist. What a team, a psychiatrist and psychotherapist. Is your life really into psychotherapy all the time? Or <laughs> <laughs> Ask our son. <laughs> if I were to ask him, he would say... They're lovely parents. I love my mom and dad. <laughs> he, he, he probably would. But we do talk about emotions a lot in our household. <laughs> well, and you know, he may not really appreciate that at this time. But as an adult, thinking of that being the course of life, what, um, what a great way really to have that foundation growing up. Because I think most of us in this world, sadly, are lacking it in that to some degree. Yes, but I do think that it's changing. Uh, working with a lot of parents, I'm seeing that there's a lot more awareness to our children's emotions, a lot more awareness to their autonomy. And a lot of parents aren't actually talking about their children's emotions and naming the emotions for them and helping them to understand how they can regulate themselves. So I do, I'm hopeful. I think it's actually changing a lot. So is that perhaps partly due to the pandemic? Did we become more aware and in tune to that uh, as a result of all the isolation that we had during that period? Definitely. I think the pandemic made it so that a lot of the uh, symptoms that we may have had or whatever we were prone to was amplified. So um, addiction, depression, anxiety, all of that was much more surfaced as well as trauma. So our past trauma experiences were also uh, surfaced that we had much more experiences with loneliness and fear and isolation. And I think it actually really changed the way that we understood ourselves and understood how we relate to other people. And it it really allowed for a lot more expression and a lot more uh, figuring out ways to cope with these very difficult feelings. So I think the pandemic actually really, really amplified the awareness to mental health much more. So increase the awareness but it also created a lot more mental health issues. Dr. Balan, as overseeing the emergency rooms, I mean, aren't they inundated? Maybe they were even beforehand, but more so now? Absolutely. The reality is that there has always been a, a tremendous need for mental health services. And unfortunately, still about 50 to 60 percent of folks that need mental health care don't receive it throughout the United States. And so uh, even before the pandemic, as you mentioned, there was a, a increase and continued rate of increase of anxiety disorders, depressive disorders, substance use disorders. And what the pandemic really did, as Duga was mentioning, shined a light on uh, the specific needs as the acute needs specific to uh, self 
self-harm, self-injury, and how the body regulates. So you're absolutely right. And so here's this dilemma, and well, and exacerbated, I think, by the fact that we don't have enough healthcare professionals, particularly in mental health care, here to really work with the people who are who reach out and want the help. Yes. Thankfully, over the last, I'd say, decade, the advent of parity, where the requirement of providing same level of mental health care as uh, organizations provide physical health care has made it a somewhat more attractive for folks to go into training. But you're absolutely right. The reality is that uh, years ago when Duga and I went into training in psychology and psychiatry, uh, it wasn't as attractive of a field specifically because of the demand on the providers, but also the reimbursement. And so that's changed. And so so we're seeing a shift in folks not only being interested in it, but also being attracted to that field because of the need uh, and also the, the wide variety of ways that we can care for one another. So even, for example, uh, this morning's discussion is over Zoom. And so you're far away from us and we can feel as if we're very close to one another having this uh, intimate conversation. And so those aspects, not only with the technology piece, but also the, the increase in awareness, but also the reimbursement rates have all shifted towards a positive trend. When are we likely to realize the you know an appropriate match between supply and demand? Not soon. Uh, but that's also one of the reasons why creatively we're putting together uh, not only this book, but the way we work with clients and families and and our colleagues to be able to understand the concept of uh, what they can do as uh, the field is is improving in terms of access. And that's exactly the point, I think, with this book, which is Rewrite, a Trauma Workbook of Creative Writing and Recovery in Our New Normal. There's a lot of information just in the title. But here we have either, you know, if we have a, a challenge being able to connect with a mental health professional, we have this workbook that really is at least a beginning foundation to start doing the work. Ideally, it would be in collaboration with a professional, correct? Yes. Um, but it's also very uh, used for self, like it could also be used uh, without professional help. And the reason we actually put this together was in my practice, I was actually seeing a lot more demand for sessions. So one reason why I was using writing more and more was to expand the uh, therapeutic process beyond the 50 minutes. So by kind of ha having these writing prompts and also uh, a lot of methods of regulation and body awareness, uh, my hope was to how help the client to figure out ways that they could actually work on their own, which because during the pandemic, of course, a lot of the resources that we all had was not available anymore. We weren't able to do our extracurricular activities or socialize. So writing was a accessible tool for a lot of people. So I think it, that's the one of the reasons that I actually incorporated more and more. And, and I saw a lot of benefit to it uh, just in my own work. So that's why I feel like like there is a lot that we could do and there are a lot of resources out there that can help us to uh, understand ourselves and make meaning of our feelings. And what is really important here is that we can deal with what well, it's all happening at this time. And some of what we may be experiencing is based on something recent, and perhaps it was the pandemic for many people. But we're also dealing with perhaps past trauma, and not only that, but generational trauma as well. 
Isn't that right? Yes, definitely. It's um, so it, it actually it's known that a lot of things get passed on to us through our DNA or even in the womb. So we actually uh, can have experiences of the mother um, when we're in the womb. So that's why I think the way that trauma therapy changed is so important, because in the past, trauma therapy was more about remembering and telling. So telling was healing. But now we know that that's not necessarily the case actually talking about a traumatic event over and over again could be could cause re-traumatization so now it's more about the identifying the triggers and the emotions that are attached to these triggers so for instance trauma that happened um generational trauma or trauma that happened before we were verbal that kind of trauma is right now very workable with these methods somatic methods where you're just um kind of guiding the client to become aware of their body and to make sense of their feelings and giving them tools to regulate themselves like breathing techniques or meditation or these kind of things that just help them regulate and treat them in a nervous system level, basically. And that is where I think the title rewrite is so perfect, really appropriate, right? Because we're taking, becoming aware honing in on what that trauma, that experience was, and doing what it takes to physically rewrite it in our body so we have a different experience or a healthier experience. Yes. Right? And it's also it's always uh, about the message. So for instance, when, when children grow up in a, a abusive household, because they're so egocentric, children, everything happens for them and to them. They The message that they internalize is my parents must be mean to me because I am bad. So this kind of I'm not lovable, I'm worthless, these kind of narratives form. So rewrite is also about changing these narratives. So by affirmation and by processing these feelings and these events that happen to us, we're actually allowing to rewrite our narratives and to create um, a sense of value, a sense of I deserve to be loved, I deserve to be connected to other people. So that's also uh, the kind of idea of rewrite. The name of rewrite also comes from that. There's a, there's a, another uh, aspect to that, that that is additive in the sense that uh, the the pandemic and all the shifts in the way our lives have been uh, sort of put together in the last couple of years, where this new normal has been you know, thrust upon us, and the reality where Doug and I wanted to uh, make sure and, and create this artifact of this book and 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 the teaching and the talking that we do is to allow for folks to realize that they have the autonomy, the ability to provide that regulation, that understanding, that informed consent, the ability to say, what can I do to impact my health, my life, so that there isn't this, uh, you know, demand or expectation from the other so that it comes from within. And it's not easy by any stretch. And and the reality is that this recovery will take uh, likely a person's lifetime, but immediate gains can be made as well. So that rewrite component incorporates not only the autonomy, but also the hope so that the person can uh, work towards getting better. And while it I think it is a lifelong process that maybe that's what we have to embrace is uh, not to feel, okay, there's a pill I can take, or I'm going to do this this uh, two-week study or intensive on this, and I should be fine. It's to realize maybe this is life's journey, is to just be more aware of what's going on, selective about how it impacts us or what we say. 
stop. You know, I am not going to take this any longer. Something like that. Yeah, it's a life's journey. It's not a life sentence. Ah. So our trauma is not our identity, and it doesn't mean that we have to repeat the same patterns and the same stories over and over again. That in our journey we can create and rewrite and be in more healthy relationships to ourselves and to other people, and also to the world that we live in. Right.、Uh, exactly. That's we want to be living, living that kind of. More in tune life,、um, and I guess the truth is that with some people, maybe the trauma is so deep that it will take a lot more work and effort. But but the need to become aware that to begin at least, right?、Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and individually, we've talked a little bit about the the person themselves and their own journey. But、uh, you know, Duga also talks a lot about the the family、uh, component.、Mm -hmm. But then, as you go a little bit further into、uh, elements of within the community, places such as the school environment, but also the workplace, these are places where you know, and we we talk about this often, where there is that need to develop that trauma informed community to be able to support the family, to be able to support the individual as you get closer and closer to the person. And so there there can be elements of individual trauma where there's a personal event、uh, versus familial trauma, and you know, as it it relates to our ability. To talk with one another, create these connections either on a Zoom camera, making eye contact in a Zoom <laughs> camera, or, or eye contact in in person.、Uh, but then also in terms of school, where we have an 11 year old and he's you know finishing up fifth grade, and so how how does a, a child、uh, going through education relate with their teachers, their peers, either in sports or in the classroom, and and also how does the effect of trauma impact things like attention? Concentration, ability to be, maintain productivity, attendance at school, at work, and so these elements are all pieces where we're trying to ensure that folks are not only increasing their awareness, but are also putting things into place so that this、uh, this all can be、uh, appreciated. That's the trauma informed、uh, perspective, but also to be able to say how do we then mitigate this and reduce it as much as possible so that re-traumatizing events don't occur in the school or the workplace setting.、Mm -hmm. And I think all of that is so ideal and wonderful. That's the ideal we want to work toward: is to, you know, think of schools as being that very respectful, honoring, conscious environment where we don't have,、uh, you know, teachers or our peers acting in such a way that. Is traumatic both to them and to us individually, and 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 it grows into the workplace if it's not checked. And yes, so so you know to think of that as the ideal going forward, but it starts with also with the individual wanting to do that for ourselves and as much as we can bring it forward. But it, a child、um, certainly. In a school environment, it's the parents that are going to need to、uh, really push for this. And like I imagine, having the school、uh, administration use this book, you know, get on the same page themselves, right? Yes,、yeah. uh, I mean it's definitely very important for the parent to advocate for the child, and for the parent to teach the child how to advocate for themselves. Because it's important for the child to learn how to how to want first of all identify their needs because a lot of children don't really know what their needs are and then also be able to voice them and when our children、uh, tell us certain things 
we have to make sure that we actually listen to them and take them seriously and are honest with them. Uh, and this goes for things that we don't know, especially during the pandemic. There was a lot of questions that our son had that we just didn't know the answer to. And I think it's important to our children to model that, to model uh, being honest and being open and explain things to them in a developmental level that they are going to be able to understand and normalize certain things, normalize therapy, normalize asking for help and normalize their feelings so that uh, they can later on model that to their own children as well. Yes, absolutely. That honesty is, I think, such a, a key factor rather than thinking uh, actually, I imagine myself when a, a, as a, a teenager going to turn 21, I thought, I really did think, I'm going to walk through some magic door and poof, I'm just going to <laughs> just be aware and know what everything I need to know. Well, we know. Yeah, that, that was, <laughs> was science fiction or fantastical thinking. But on the other side of it, when we think today about school, we think about trauma, here's a, such a huge and tragic situation where I'm, I don't even know how we deal with our children when there's been so much violence, the gun violence that's gone on, um, even as parents to just feel like I'm sending my child off. Can I feel safe with this? But for the child, the teachers, I, how do we... Uh, how do we deal with that kind of, you know, unnerving situation for ourselves? So, so there's there's several ways of of looking at that. One is that the current uh, the violence, uh, you know, externalized and and the current symptom of of what you're describing, and and the other sort of aspect is looking at uh, preventing and mitigating that, but also understanding what's happening in terms of self regulation and and how uh, we have individually the ability and the child has the ability to understand how they're dealing emotionally. And and part of what uh, Duga does uh, with with families is looking at the the ability to identify that so that that can be expressed and discussed. And so the children are not alone, obviously, in schools. There's the teachers, there's the staff, there's the administrators, and having them educated uh, in terms of trauma-informed and mental health uh, uh, elements to be able to reduce uh, elements of uh, triggering bullying behavior violence within the, the school uh, so that uh, you know smaller uh, issues don't become greater and larger issues that are unmanageable, which is sort of the, the outward manifestation is, you know, what you discussed in terms of uh, the, the violence and, and the fear there. And, and in reality, when we do have that ability for the administrators and school and staff to be able to talk about this in a setting where the children are a little bit more equipped to be able to discuss this, we can then further prevent that. I, I think another uh, piece in terms of identifying the the emotion and being able to discuss this comes uh, also with with uh, connecting with professional help as well let's not uh, minimize the reality that schools aren't uh, a community by themselves they're they're within a larger framework of either religious institutions or, or or professional settings such as clinical counseling so that there is a larger network and and that's another big piece that we discuss is the ability to then ask for help and appropriately uh, identify your resources within the community before there's an emergency, before there's a tragedy. So while we don't necessarily want to talk about it, the reality is we must. We know it exists, so let's let's be honest, have these conversations, set into place what we can be doing, um, yes, to prevent that kind of bullying that might lead to 
to someone becoming that uh, young person. They are maybe 18, 20 years old that come back to a school because they're angry about something. So yes, to, to deal with all of that. And here again is becoming more aware, informed, working on ourselves and using resources such as this incredible new book, Rewrite, a trauma workbook of creative writing and recovery in our new normal, right? Yes. And also, I think in an individual and in a community level, the things that we avoid actually uh, create a much um, bigger impact on us and have so much more power in us and start steering our lives and our decisions. So in an in individual level, this is emotions that are unprocessed or memories that we rather not remember. And in a community level, it's, th- it's things that we don't want to talk about. It's like gun violence. It's domestic violence. It's child abuse. These things we don't want to look at, but if we push it to the side, then we're actually fostering it. And it's just, you know, it's almost like watering it. It's getting bigger and bigger and darker and darker. So it's really important to have these conversations and they are uncomfortable and they're supposed to be uncomfortable. And uh, that's what I always, that's one of my missions is to have these conversations that are uncomfortable because we can only grow through discomfort. There's no growing without discomfort. And isn't it true we may, and it can be uncomfortable, but it's it's not, if we experience it, we find that that discomfort, we've blown it out of proportion, that we really kind of then walk through that door and it's like, what was I so afraid of? Yes, that's right. true. Yeah. We all survive it. We survive these conversations. We do. Yeah. And feel lighter and more what maybe more empowered by having them yes and also we that's how we find resources so right by conversations you get other people's feedbacks and uh, resources and there's awareness and there's problem solving without conversation we can't really problem solve before we identify the problems we can't figure out our resources we can't figure out our coping strategies so conversations are the first step Well, and also when when we realize what resources we have available through those conversations, we then realize the the ability and and the the, the level of choice that we actually do have, right? So for example, if you're in a setting where uh, they're either school or a workplace setting or a relationship that you actually have choices, none of these are forever, right? You can change your school, you can change your relationship, you can change your work. And, And the reality also is that you can then decide how you want to model that as well. And so another reason for, you know, putting this this book, this artifact together was, you know, how do we then look at what's going on during this last three years, four years within the pandemic and how it affected families and children and individuals where domestic violence went up, substance use went up, right? There was a statistic that I saw that uh, one in three Americans were drinking during the workday while they were, you know, working from home or remotely, et cetera. And so, and, and these are likely uh, underrepresented numbers, right? Where you see a significant increase and substance use uh, and all of this violence turned outwards, as you mentioned. And and so, you know, being able to then realize, hey, you know, we've got a choice. How do we show up to our relationship? How do we show up to our professional environment? How do we show up to our child, to our community? And, you know, putting this, this book together was a form of well, it was a form of coping because as Doug mentioned, I we didn't, there was so many, there was a lot more questions that our, our son had and, and folks had that we didn't realize. And we were operating and, and once we realized we were operating from a sense of fear, 
how do we then uh, adopt that how do we adopt things like exercise into our routine when the gyms are closed and we're told to socially distance how do we incorporate healthy eating when access to areas that uh, we had access to before what weren't as available as before how do we access self-regulation is it a concept of what were we watching that that, that show the, 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 about the guy with tigers you know everybody was oh, watching yeah. that you know how, do, do we watch more of that or do we sit down and, and sort of work on ourselves as opposed to escapism and, and there's a healthy balance for sure right there, there's value in entertainment but there's also value in being able to say what do i need what does what does my body need so i can show up uh, for, for my family balance what a concept Right. <laughs> yes. Oh, I have to remember that. <laughs> yes, we we become aware that yes, overindulgence in one area, even if it is, you know, working on ourselves, even that can not get to the point of being almost unhealthy or, you know, people just don't want to be around us because that's that's all we want to talk about, yeah, right? Definitely. I mean, as long as things don't interfere with your day to day, right? Like even exercise, if you do it in a way that is going to affect your day to day or relationships or be uh, kind of excessive, then it's not doing what we want it to do, right? Like it doesn't really help regulation if you are or or around food, for instance, healthy eating is really important, but also, you know, it's also important to enjoy the food that you're eating. So kind of having this a little bit of uh, flexibility around these kind of things is definitely important. So balance for sure. Yeah. Because you mentioned flexibility, great word, because the other side of it is being inflexible. And we know how that can feel being around people who are so rigid about it having to be a certain way and only that way. Being around people, but also for ourselves, if we're so mm. rigid around certain things, uh, that actually in some ways is so gripping. So um, my question is always, what are you not? So if somebody's thinking about, for instance, their food, um, the healthy food or their healthy practices, then I always ask them, what are you not thinking about while you're thinking about this so much? So what does this serve you? What is not being expressed and what is not being discussed when you're constantly talking about, you know, healthy practices and exercise and, and healthy eating? What is not being talked about here? Mm -hmm. So usually it's a cover for something. Interesting. So here we're going to, I'm sure, discover this within the pages of Rewrite, right? Just to <laughs> be looking beyond, like, in this instance, you know, what is it that I'm not looking at that I am avoiding and choosing not yeah. to, right? what's okay. underneath well, well there's a, there's a, a playful part of of the book where where it's a constant so, source of amusement to, to us and our son where uh, we put together a list an alphabetical list of of different emotions and feelings and states of being and we're constantly flipping through it and realizing that you know some some might be missing and, and some of it's on purpose so people can write in their own emotions but but sort of the, the playful aspect of that is to be able to say Oh, that's the word for that. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. sort of what I've been feeling. And then uh, really allowing for the person to say, okay, when I was in this state, this is how it made me feel. And this is how I acknowledged myself or what it did in terms of triggering myself as, as that occurred. And so the flexibility piece allows for uh, you to acknowledge it but also be playful with it. You know, how much of it can you, and, and the pliability, the playfulness of it doesn't have to always be so serious or so uh, absolute. And so that that's something that we're, we're trying to model as well. And so uh, I, I think the, the, uh, the that list is just funny for us as well in terms of yeah. just, <laughs> some of the things that, that we included. And so definitely uh, encourage folks to really 
come up with names for themselves too. It doesn't have to be a dictionary uh, emotion. It can be how they felt within the context of the experience as well. They might make up a word for it, right? <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. just because. Right. Yeah. Oh, and that that's what's so empowering. It's making this available. Yes, there is professional help, but when it's not available or if it's limited availability, being able to also feel that we have a resource and a recourse by uh, uh, something as wonderful as this book, Rewrite, which rewrite having so many connotations, I feel, and and again, is empowering in itself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the book of, is available at any of our favorite book sources, right? Yes, thank you. Yeah, yes. It's, it certainly is wherever you uh, enjoy purchasing books. Absolutely. Great. And uh, you can also be found online and through uh, through the usual kind of social media outlets too, correct? Yes. Um, so I have a website and I have a newsletter where I send out uh, updates about the book and events. And I'm also on Instagram. Great. And Dr. Balan, you're busy with your practice at the hospital or many hospitals, I think, right? Right, that, that's right. So, so I, I'm in a healthcare organization where we oversee the the quality and, and operational oversight of the care. And so, uh, in addition to to doigoballin.com, the website, she's also on LinkedIn and Instagram, and and I have my own website as well. So, there's easy ways to reach us. Yes. And the reality is, is being able to create our own communities and create our own spaces where we feel comfortable enough to share these messages. So, thank you so much for this opportunity. Yes, well, I am. So. Thank you for being who you are and having that desire and acting on it to really make a difference for each of us and for our world. Uh, We really need you. So thank you for doing your work. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. You're so welcome.